0: Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost and Sullivan's latest webinar from our mobility practice. Today's event is titled What's Driving the 2019 Global Automotive? industry. My name is Anna and I receive Frost and Sullivan's growth innovation and leadership briefings. And with that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to our moderator, Sarwant Singh.
1: Thank you, Anna. A very good morning to you in uh, in Americas and a very good afternoon, good evening to you if you're in Europe or in Asia. My name is Sarwant Singh, Senior Partner at Frost and Sullivan. Um, I will be starting the presentation, moderating the first bits and then passing it on to my colleagues, Frank and Mark. Um, Quick introduction to my colleagues. Frank is a partner and business and a leader based in our European practice. He's a Frenchman, educated in the U.K., and now lives in Germany. The joke is, since ever he moved to Germany, the German trains have become a little bit like the French trains. Um, So that's a little joke on Frank. Um, I'm also joined by my colleague, Mark. Mark joined us recently. He's got over 15 years of experience working with strategy analytics and IHS. He is leading our work in CASE. In the US and he tells me he's a car guy, he loves cars, he likes racing cars and he also likes building cars. So definitely have a car team on board today. So what we're going to be presenting today, well we're going to be talking about four key things. Uh, we'll start with a little interactive poll and insight so maybe collaboratively see where the industry will finish this year in terms of numbers for EVs and for, for total volumes. Um, I will then lead and provide some global insights into 2018 and 2019, talking a lot more about some of the quantitative numbers by markets, by OEMs, and then passing on to my colleagues, Frank and Mark, who will talk a little bit about some of the disruptive trends in the market, including share some of the findings from their visit uh, to CES. And then Frank will end it with a key takeaway and next steps. So let's start with a quick poll. Um, so the poll we have is, we achieved about 96.1 million sales in 2018. This was just about 400K more than what we achieved in 2017. So We'd like to hear from you, what do you expect would be the total sales in 2019? Will it be flat? Will it be 1% growth, 3% growth? Or do you actually expect the market to shrink? You can see a couple of the audience members have started voting. So let me repeat the question again. Um, in 2018, total global automotive sales reached about 96.1 million. This is light vehicles. Um, so the question is, what do you expect in 2019? Is there an optimist? You're expecting 1% to 3% growth? A little pessimistic, you might be saying it might be shrinking 1% to 3%. While you're working at this one, um, I'll move to the, the next um, question. Um, Anna, is, is there any other suggestions on this?
0: Yes, there is. Actually, it looks like uh, we have, uh, our, our from our audience, we have about um, – it's a split – 30%, 36% of our audience indicate growth at 1%, growth at 3%. Uh, again, we have 11% indicate no growth and then shrink by 3%. And lastly, um, 3% uh, shrink by
1: 1%.
0: So what I will do is I will go ahead and push out our second poll question.
1: Okay, excellent. Thank you. So the second poll question before I give you the results um, is, In 2018, we sold globally about 2.1 million electric vehicles. So this was about 900,000 more units than sold in 2017. So the question is, how many do you expect will sell in 2019? So do you think around 2.5 million, maybe more than that, 2.6, maybe 2.8, 3 million, or do you think actually EVs are going to take off and be more than 3.5 million sales? We have about 13 people who have voted. Uh, we'll uh, appreciate if everybody can vote. Excellent. Okay, I'll repeat the question again. So in 2018, 2.1 million electric vehicles were sold globally. This was about 900K more than the previous year in 2017. So the question is, how many electric vehicles globally do you expect to sell in 2019? So 2.5 million, 2.6, 2.8, 3, or three and a half plus. I have to say the numbers are very close to Frost and Sullivan numbers. So that's interesting. And over to
0: you, the results. Thank you, Sohwan. So this is what we have here. Yes, they are quite interesting. Looks like uh, 2.5 million, 15%. 2.6 million, 28%. 2.8 million, our audience indicated, 23%. 3 3, million is, uh, is 30%, and 3.5 plus million
1: is 2% on the results. Excellent. Thank you very much, Anna. All right, so let me share the... Numbers from Frost and Sullivan team, and uh, let's uh, find out same time next year if uh, who was right. So our forecast for 2018 is 97 million units. Um, so that's roughly about 1% growth, which is what many of you voted. So a large proportion of you, 39%, voted at 1%. So it looks like we're pretty much aligned there. Let me give you a little bit update on where the sales came from before I answer the next question. So, very marginal increase in sales over 2017, expected to be a little more in 20 uh, sorry 20, in 2019. Um, we saw, uh, in particular, in Europe, uh, a marginal growth in lightweight sales. Um, mainly the sales growth came from some of the Eastern European markets. Russia, Poland, Romania did very well. We were affected by the WLTP new procedures, uh, which derailed the sales toward the last few months, of the year. In North America, light vehicle sales dropped slightly. U.S. sales were up. Canada had a drop after eight years of continuous growth. Um, Latin America was an exciting market in 2018, witnessed 7% growth. And a large proportion of that growth came from Brazil, which we expect to continue to grow this year. For the first time in almost 20 years, China sales actually declined in 2018. Now, let's look at the second uh, poll question. So the second poll question we had was, how many electric vehicle sales do you expect in 2019? So the large majority said 3 million. Uh, Foster and Sullivan team believes it will be around 2.8 million. Personally, I have to say I'm more in agreement that this will exceed 3 million, but uh, the analyst team in Foster and Sullivan uh, ruled me out on this one. Um, we expect uh, about um, 45 new models being launched, this year, uh, we had a growth of almost similar number of new models launched in 2018. Um, China has had sales of over 1 million last year, and we expect China to continue to be to provide a lot of the growth, about 1.5 million in 2019. What we also found is um, in 2019, um, we expect a number of uh, new models, especially battery electric vehicles, to be launched. Battery electric vehicles will be a lot more preferred And then plug-in hybrids, as you can see the number here on the top of the slide, over 200, 157 battery electric vehicle models will be available for sale. And Tesla, as you can see here on the chart, actually became the number one EV sales manufacturer with over 300k sales once they ramped up Model 3. Let me give you a few insights on 2019. Um, So 2019, um, as I mentioned, uh, was a tough year, was a flat year, about 96 million unit sales. Um, we saw Volkswagen continue to grow, keep maintain its first position with over 10 million sales and about 10.7% market share in globally. Uh, EV sales, as we talked about, grew rapidly. Um, EV sales now constitute about 2.5% of total sales. That's the expected number in 2019, but they nowhere near the 5% that was projected by many. Uh, for 2020. So it will be much lower than that number. Um, One of the areas where we saw huge growth was in mobility services. So mobility services, which includes car sharing, mobility as a service solution, ride hailing, including rental and leasing, was over a trillion dollar industry in 2018. And we expect this year to see a large number of very high-valued IPOs in the market. So, in terms of how the market looks like in terms of light vehicle sales, um, so you can see here some of the key growth markets that we have shortlisted here. So, China, as we talked about, actually saw a decline for the first time in 20 years. U.S. after 2017 decline actually saw a small growth, and so did Japan. Um, India failed to impress. Um, it did register impressive 6.3% growth and became bigger than Germany in 2017. India and Germany were very similar in terms of number is about 3.7 billion units but india has definitely overtaken germany now to become the fourth biggest market globally it's expected to continue its impressive growth in 2019 roughly around seven seven and a half percent but we don't expect yet india to start growing like china did uh, around 10 to 15 percent some politically sensitive market uh, uk turkey saw huge declines um, then and at the same time some of the emerging markets with the exception of china Brazil, Russia um, so impressive growth. And so did some of the ASEAN markets like Indonesia, Malaysia, and Thailand. So those were some exciting markets in 2018, and we expect a similar growth in 2019. In terms of the OEMs, so this chart shows you the top 20 OEMs globally. What is interesting on this chart is of these top 20 now, you have 10 from China. And I shown you this slide, similar slide, maybe 10, 15 years back. You would have not seen so many Chinese players. Um, not much change at the top end of the chart. Okay. Volkswagen man- maintaining its position with 10 million plus sales. Then on the start, of Alliance coming in second. Toyota actually saw a slight decline, um, and so did General Motors. Uh, but I think the exciting um, area where we're seeing a lot of activity is in the in the in the bottom half of this table. Geely had impressive growth, 18%. Geely owns Volvo. Um, and at the same time, we saw some companies uh, like the BIC Group actually see sharp declines. Tata, despite JLR having a tough year, actually posted some good growth of about 10%, mainly in the Indian market. Now, quick scenario on Brexit. Uh, we, we shared some of these findings earlier, uh, in, uh, earlier in 2018. No matter what happens with Brexit, and it's quite a hot thing happening right now uh, in London, and it's fun watching TV every day, watching news every day. And no matter what scenario we have, soft, hard, or no-deal Brexit scenario, the sales will actually be in 2019 and 2020 be less than what it was during its peak in 2016. So you can see the chart here from 1990 to 2018. typically takes four to five years for the auto industry in the U.K. to recover. But in this case, we expect a little bit longer, even if it's a soft Brexit. So thanks to politicians, it's going to be a tough year for, for the U.K. car industry. This I'm going to pass on to my colleague, Frank. Over to you, Frank. Thank you, Salvin. And
2: um, so in today's uh, presentation, uh, so as part of the, of the presentation on trends, I uh, will be divided into four main areas. Uh, we will speak uh, first about connected vehicle services, about autonomous technology, and moving on to new car ownership models with subscription, as well as looking at mobility or shared mobility and digitization in cities. So before we jump into connected services, I'd like to briefly highlight where um, we see the developments in terms of what was presented at CES earlier this year and the relevance uh, to the automotive industry as it sets the scene in many ways for the year um, uh, ahead. The evolution of the app store Uh, to a more data-fueled marketplace with contextualized offers, for me, was the highlight of uh, 2019. With GM, Hyundai, Toyota, Lexus, all planning a journey-based solution with Xevo. I think what Xevo did is showcase a very intelligent solution that is firmly hooked into the the driver's habits and schedules. With over 40 brands integrated Xevo is actually creating an increasingly interesting commerce assistant, one that can actually place a Starbucks order if it can understand your favorite drink and other routines. Xevo also showcased the integration with Alexa to bring voice into the equation. The other interesting implementation by Honda with connected travel is a marketplace app compatible through Android Auto and CarPlay. While the functionalities are very similar to that of Xevo, Honda is managing the content directly in terms of pulling the brands to the platform and even using their own voice solution to perform selected tasks. Ford was one of the first OEM in the U.S. to embrace the concept of apps um, on their Sync platform, which they late, later dubbed the Sync uh, Haplink but at the Ford booth this year was Autonomic, which launched the Transportation Mobility Cloud last year. The investment turned actually into action with several implementations showcased with partners, such as GoRide and Swarm. And the idea is of a cloud platform that will ingest the telemetry data from Ford vehicle and provide a standardized format for developers to use and consume, and charge them based on volume or typical API scores. So very exciting developments on on that front. So looking a little bit deeper into the connected service trend, Features on Demand is a a service update that is offered as a one-time payment or a subscription service post the sale of vehicle uh, and operated over the air. We can look at feature on demand solution in four categories. Connected services, for example, CarPlay smartphone interfacing as an on-demand subscription based on services for 80, 90 dollars a year. Uh, powertrain and electric vehicle services, for example, a range extension for an electric vehicle is expected to be a popular feature. Or the customization of suspension as offered by the Audi e-tron. Third, on ADAS and autonomous technology. For example, the feature on demand for autopilot, which Tesla pioneered, or the automated parking on demand, and fourth, the uh, smart interior and exterior, uh, offering personalised service such as bespoke interior design, uh, customised lighting, even on the front light, or other comfort features. In fact, the potential of features is completely limitless. It is important to note at this stage that from a daily usage perspective, more than 30 to 40% of features inside the vehicle today are not used by consumers. For me, this is actually the birth of a completely new business model for the automotive industry where the value creation can happen throughout the vehicle lifecycle as opposed to the time at which the vehicle is being sold. One significant example of such a service has been provided by Audi. It's a la carte on-demand feature program has some very interesting characteristics from my perspective. Again, the e model is one of the first big announcements bringing Audi's vision of feature on-demand to users. There are monthly offers for major tech packages, which can be brought post-vehicle purchase. There are similar such, um, there, there are services, sorry, such as autonomous parking, which is charged at $5 per instance. Of course, assuming that the car is bought with the necessary sensor packages. Or, you know, a similar case with convenience, with navigation costing $2 per day. This is a a stopgap philosophy where the hardware is bought as part of a standard package by the user but the OEM has created use cases for the hardware to offer services on top. The next major service offering that we would like to highlight is the car marketplace, or the car as a marketplace. The concept of this is to bring in retail capability for vehicle occupants that are available directly from the vehicle. Some purchases that can be offered as a result of this include things like purchasing fuel, paying for parking, or buying a pizza or coffee. These marketplaces uh, provide extra features in the sense that it also limits options to Reduced driver distraction. For instance, you know, a Starbucks customer can order from the car while it is being driven, but only with a few choices based on previous orders that will that will be displayed. The actions that require considerable involvement or clicks, such as booking or a hotel room uh, on Priceline, can be executed only with the vehicle in. pass mode or completely stopped, or potentially through using um, uh, virtual assistance, voice virtual assistance. We, we are already seeing several instances of this being applied, um, and together with feature on demand is going to be one of our next topic for multi-client consumer research analysis we're going to deploy in the next few days. So. Moving on to autonomous technology trends that are expected in the industry, the first first point to discuss is about platform that will determine autonomous cars of the future. The complexity of having multiple vehicle types for each level of automation due to the need for redundancies and diverse electronic content will actually put significant cost pressure on the system development. For this reason, OEMs will need to create a standardized vehicle platform that is flexible to house various electronic redundancies to spread across their various autonomous driving models. There will be three layers of platform that can enable standardization. The first layer will be the vehicle platform. This will house the various elements mounted into the hardpoints of the chassis such as electric power system, redundant steering and braking components. The second layer will be digital platform that houses in the car digital content like infotainment, seats, convenience, electronics and smart sensors. And the third layer will be the electronic platform, with the core ECUs and communication lines such as CAN and Internet. This is currently where a lot of the innovation is focused by many vehicle manufacturers. As an example, how the, has functional safety and redundancy power net embedded into the MQB platform, which has enabled them to deploy level three on today's traditional platform, but is likely to migrate to the MEB platform for higher levels of automation due to the higher availability of power for core autonomous driving functions and the possibility to segment the section of the power net for redundancy. But as an extension of this, how will OEM look at solving the challenge of autonomy via legacy and non-legacy means? I think currently, most traditional OEM tackle the development of automation via an incremental innovation approach, improving driver assistance to achieve higher level of automation. This process is the most cost-effective way currently to developing autonomous driving technology, but one that has limitation in terms of scale. Currently, vehicle platforms are challenged to scale at higher level of automation due to limitation in either the chassis, the electronic and and electric systems, and the sensorization. Disruptors like Google are approaching autonomous driving development from the other side by first developing a full-scale level five and then scaling it down to achieve the right level of automation required for testing and validation. This way, by entering the market, they will be able to dictate the right sensors, the right electric and electronic architecture, the right redundancy, the right hard points required to the vehicle manufacturers in order to achieve each level of automation. The road to full automation By a BMW and a Volkswagen are currently very different, on a very different tangent, due to the new platform architecture that they have chosen, one being dedicated with a more centralized electric and electronic architecture, while the other is a multi-energy platform with a more decentralized ECU approach. So, having discussed autonomous technology and um, you know, is development, we will now move onto new car uh, ownership trends uh, and the focus on subscription in the automotive industry with Mark, over to you.
3: Great, thanks Frank, and uh, uh, like Frank, I was uh, lucky enough to go to uh, the CES show earlier this year, and it was my 15th or 16th time at the show, and it's always great to get the, the insights, and, and like you said, it sets the stage for the year. So uh, yeah, I'd like to start off with uh, subscription models, and we've talked about uh, being uh very driver oriented features in, in the vehicle so far and that does uh correlate directly to the uh, subscription models that we're looking at and uh if you look uh, on uh, the the y axis is the uh relationship between uh, the bottom would be shared and upwards to owned and then basically how long you're going to be using uh, the vehicle on the x axis so uh we haven't seen a, a lot of change outside of the uh uh, car sharing in the last uh, 10 or 15 years of, uh, vehicle ownership and usership models where on the, the right side, three years or more, you're going to be uh, outright purchasing your vehicle or leasing it for a, a few years. And then the left side, uh, minutes to hours would be the car sharing. And then rental would be your hours, days, maybe a, a week on vacation or a business trip. So, uh, what we have in the middle in the red box is the, the vehicle subscription model. Uh, it's, uh, Very important to know is that the mindset's changing, and uh, we're looking at the younger generations moving towards the usership and that gap, uh, to fill that gap between uh, very short term and long term usership. So, uh, And when compared to those other types of usership, the subscription model has the opportunity to offer the most flexibility to the user and uh, the number of services uh, opposed to uh, a lot of the other services you're just getting the vehicle itself where uh, we'll explore some of these services uh, in the next few slides. But, uh, yeah, you'll get, get some more services and some concierge and a, a different ownership experience than if you're just outright buying or leasing or uh, short-term rental or car sharing. And uh, it is important to notice, though, that the uh, the OEM offerings uh, right now from uh, like a Volvo, JLR, or Cadillac tend to be uh, premium vehicles and uh, can be uh, quite a bit more expensive, but they are more flexible, than uh, the other services where you can uh, tend to swap vehicles uh, a few times uh, within your subscription period, and it also offers uh, some other features that we'll get into in the next few slides. And then, uh, again, uh, the uh, age of the vehicle, there's a direct correlation between, uh, in the contract period of the, the mileage per year usage, you tends to be, if you're going to be uh, using a vehicle subscription for a newer vehicle, you're going to be putting on more uh, miles per year uh, and uh shorter contract period uh those uh numbers of miles and kilometers will rise and uh, there 's a lot of scope for these new entrants in the market, whether they're uh private companies or vehicle oEMs, to be creative in bringing innovation into the services packaged under that monthly fee and that can include uh parking uh refueling congestion fees uh for example, on top of uh some of the um,
0: uh,
3: traditional coverages that 's already included such as uh, insurance. And uh, create a good mix for that subscription uh, service so it offers uh, quite a bit more than it would be if you're just buying a vehicle outright or uh, renting that vehicle. So we do believe that there is a huge potential growth for these subscription services throughout uh, the globe. Uh, and uh, the, as these end ownership, owner, uh, ownership models are changing and uh, services that are required from the consumers are changing. So we're looking for, uh, subscription services, uh, we like to say which are to rocket up, uh, from 2020. And, uh, and this is assuming globally that, uh, we're going to have 1.6 to 2 billion cars on the road in 2025 to 2030. So when we're looking at, you know, between 11 and 16 million, uh, of these vehicles, uh, as a subscription, it's still a very small fraction of the market and it's not really to in, intending to uh, replace car ownership completely, but it still is a significant segment of the market. Uh, awareness is spread between 2016 and 2018 of this car subscription uh, model, and uh, there's advertising and consumers are, are starting to learn what these uh, subscriptions can offer them. And then uh, we can see that within uh, two or three years of inception of these services, there's quite a few mergers and acquisitions. Throughout the industry and organizations big and small are transforming their business around this topic, especially in urban areas. And uh, each program is different uh, with uh, whether there's offering uh, new vehicles or used vehicle in fleet, limited, unlimited buy offerings per month per vehicle, limited uh, or unlimited uh, flips or shares per month. You can change your, your vehicle. Some don't offer any uh, ability to switch your vehicle per month. Uh, and some are present only in key cities, uh, until 2020 as, uh, they're actually still working out business models to be profitable overall to make sure that, uh, they're generating enough revenue to cover, uh, the vehicle usage portion of the uh, subscription as well as, uh, some of the other offerings, uh, that are being made. So, uh, our current service packages in the, the gray part in uh, the 2017-18 time frame are looking towards your uh, traditional service, so when you buy a subscription to one of these vehicles, you'll be provided with insurance for the vehicle, maintenance for that vehicle, vehicle delivery, uh, so it's uh, basically a one-stop shop, and also registration of the vehicle if it's brand new, so you can basically make it quite easy for the consumer. uh, The idea for these subscriptions are ease of use, covering uh, all the bases of ownership uh, as we're looking. And now that we're going into the future, we're actually looking to add concierge services to these markets, whether it's parking, uh, tolls included, some of those features Frank was mentioning earlier with uh, navigation included, maybe some features you can add to your uh, vehicle, uh, pay for congestion charging, and also refueling or recharging as well. As you can see as uh, the chart grows up, we're, uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, basically at the thousands of vehicles in 2016 into 17, and then moving on into uh, the tens of millions, over uh, 11 million from 2024 up to 16, three million in 2025. And to help uh, companies in this industry, uh, either uh, if they're active in this industry or in the midst of developing their own service, we've launched a voice of consumer study and it's uh, a very recent study. Uh, Some of the results have just come in just two weeks ago. So these are our initial findings of these uh uh this work and uh vehicle studies uh is not only to um look at the potential consumer segments to also gauge their interest in such uh vehicle subscription services, willing to use it and their appetite for additional services that I mentioned on top of the core package. That's your your fuel cars, navigation congestion charges as well. Uh, and to develop a, a demand based forecast. So we're uh, segregating these prospects into different categories based on their intent or interest in vehicle subscription, and they range from the top prospects who uh, consider vehicle subscriptions to be their choice when looking to their next car. So that's the top prospects in the uh, the chart on the left side is looking at uh, 15% of respondents are uh, looking there, and then another 15% are looking that they're likely to consider vehicle sharing uh, when looking at their next car. And then uh, we're looking at uh, 37%, the largest uh, area. They're open to vehicle subscriptions, but might, might not consider it the next time uh, they're looking for a vehicle. And then it's also quite important to note that almost a third of respondents are non prospects so they're unlikely to use uh, vehicle sharing uh, the next time they buy a vehicle. And then on the right side, uh, for individual country stats, uh, the sample of five European Union countries, Italy showed the largest interest in such offerings with uh, 50% of respondents saying that uh, vehicle subscription uh, would be their next choice. And 31% are open to the concept and may do it in the future. As you can see, uh, Spain would be in uh, the second area and then going down through uh, France, Germany, and the U.K. So it's uh, just quite interesting. There's a different uh, prospects. Uh, there's the, the, quite the top prospects are cut in, almost cut in half in the uh, uh, countries of France, Germany, and the U.K. when compared with Spain. And it's uh, also important to mention that in most cases, uh, many people are not familiar with these services and need to know the uh, benefits and understand the, the uh, cost of ownership of the vehicle and how a subscription – Services can uh, approach the regular price of buying, insuring, registering a vehicle on your own where you have the uh, services and it's a, a premium service where all of this can be done for you and uh, also offer a concierge and premium services on top of this vehicle ownership. And this will all raise the interest in vehicle subscription services even more. And to summarize uh, what specific vehicles would be chosen, we draw in a couple conclusions with regard to the profile of the hot prospects for vehicle uh, subscriptions. Even if the full analysis hasn't been made since the results have only been in for a, a few weeks, we do have some initial findings that are quite inter- interesting, and it's this. 37% of cur- current SUV drivers, as well as drivers of larger vehicle classes in the E, F, and G segments, are evaluated, showing that an increased interest in vehicle subscription across all the five countries in the scope of the research. Uh, in line with above, 36% of the premium car owners are hot prospects for uh, subscriptions. So uh, we're looking at premium owners in premium vehicles on the larger segment. And also, 38% of people with families... And younger children, uh, younger than 14 years of old, li- likely to use a, a larger family for uh, a larger vehicle for family transportation. As well as 38% of people driving more than 24,000 kilometers per year are interested in the uh, vehicle subscriptions. And of course, with any type of service offering, uh, price and b- price sensitivity is very crucial for our vehicle sub- subscription services as well. This is the reason why we have a. Uh, Convictions, the vehicle subscription has the opportunity to address different market segments from high demanding luxury vehicle oriented people and that's a key to note that they all like to be able to pay and they might want to have the most, uh, the newest, most luxurious uh, latest vehicle on the market and a subscription service can offer that with uh, vehicle switching services to people who actually only need the vehicle to travel to point A and point B. So there are different business models uh, there as well. And the, the general setup of services uh, that's identified in the middle of our our slide showcases what type of vehicles are in focus for uh, potential consumer segments and what type of contract length they're willing to consider and vehicle swaps they like to receive. So they're looking at, uh, as I mentioned before, some larger segment vehicles, uh, SUVs, and maybe a compact SUV if you have a family and uh, and a a lower price point. And they're looking at premium and also some volume brands, one to two swaps of vehicles uh, in your 12-month contract, and the the contracts are relatively short at 12 months, lower than uh, your typical lease. And they're also looking to have unlimited mileage in these subscriptions. Now from personal vehicle subscriptions, we're moving on to uh, shared mobility. And with shared mobility, we're looking at uh, the market to reach 2 trillion by 2030 overall. So we're looking uh, at the the, the market for, Direct, uh, demand responsive transit, that would be uh, your dynamic shuttle in these charts. So that's, uh, uh, basically a bus route that would be changed on demand by, uh, vehicles summoning, uh, consumers summoning those vehicles rather than running a traditional set bus route. And we're looking at, uh, revenue to receive, uh, 4.2 billion and in 2019, and it, it's growing from only $1 billion the year before. So there's quite a bit of growth, still lower than quite a few uh, of the other segments, but still growing quite strongly. And then the, uh, the car-sharing market is also expected to see rapid growth. That's on the left-hand side of the screen. And in the short to midterm, uh, interest seen increasing from the uh, OEMs launching car-sharing problems, such as GM's Maven. And cities are also increasingly becoming interested in car sharing programs uh, and uh, electric vehicle car sharing programs to uh, decrease pollution and congestion as well. Peer-to-peer car sharing is also picking up demand as uh, car owners want to make revenue off of their uh, vehicles when they're uh, idle vehicles and uh, create some revenue on the side. Leasing companies and OEMs are investigating and partnering with these P2P operators to improve their usage of idle cars as well. Corporate ride sharing and, excuse me, car sharing is yet to pick up in demand as uh, corporations are looking at more sustainable modes of transportation to lose co- reduce costs and parking. We will see some growth in the next two to five years. And by 2030, we expect GDP 2 p to compromise more than 65% of the market with corporate car sharing to have around 34% of the overall car sharing market. Long-term disruption of the vehicle mobility industry is likely to arise when fleets of autonomous vehicles are present in large volumes on the road. And that first uh, wave of commercialization is expected to hit uh, demand responsive uh, re- demand-responsive shuttles or the demand, dynamic shuttles that are included in our charts today. And uh, again, those are the, the ones where a consumer can summon these uh, shuttles along a set route. And we do expect these Uh, to be offered uh, the the autonomous vehicles to to hit the market first in these dynamic shuttles, uh, offering uh, geofenced rides on uh, college campuses, uh, geofenced areas within cities, etc. And then in the future, move on to uh, larger geographical areas for your uh, overall ride hailing experience. Now we're gonna look at uh, the value chain that uh, ride hailing can create, because we have uh, Uber on the bottom, we're all quite familiar with, Uber, but it's also uh, expanded this value chain and this slide is almost intentionally very busy just to show how many different companies are involved for uh, services for uh, whether it's a Uber user or an Uber driver where you can have, uh, whether you want to balance your your fleet vehicles, you have to clean these vehicles. That's a very big uh, idea of having uh, these ride hailing and shared vehicles. How do you clean them quickly between uh, users. Charging, refueling, repairing the vehicle, uh, maintaining, managing your vehicle. If you're driving Uber, you're going to put tremendous number of miles on your vehicle, so you can get uh, discounts on repair and uh, fleet management, predictive maintenance on your vehicle. Of course, there's booking reservations. The more rides, uh, the more utilization you have as an Uber driver, the more money you can create. Ensuring the vehicle, uh, maintaining tires, dash cams, security, and even uh, repairing uh, glass. Uh, the more miles you put in your vehicle, the more uh, exposure you have to uh, perils on the road, whether it's a uh, full insurance claims or a simple glass claim. Now we're looking at this slide, and it's uh, a little bit difficult to read because it's a uh, quite a few countries have been looked at uh, in cities within those countries, versus cities pushing for sustained shared mobility. So we're looking at the uh, the high costs of Parking, congestion charges, government incentives for free parking, carpool lanes for uh, access to shared growth in uh, mobility. So what we're looking at on these charts are the sizes of uh, uh, the fleet sizes for car sharing per city. And we look at uh, Moscow leading with quite a few uh, tens of thousands of residents have taken up car sharing to combat the uh, in very high parking costs and the lower number of parking spaces in Moscow and it's, uh, that trend has made Russia, the Russian capital, one of the world's fastest growing market for car sharing. And in fact, the demand for car sharing has tripled in Moscow in only one year since 2017. It's currently the highest uh, car sharing fleet of all the uh, cities surveyed with over 6,000. And uh, the number of actual car sharing journeys in the city increased from 5.5 million in 2017 to over 18 million in 2018. So that's a, quite a big jump in just one year and that's why Uh, It did come out uh, in our research that car sharing for a typical consumer came out to be uh, more than $100 cheaper per month than owning a car in the city. And also, uh, Germany is the largest car sharing market in Europe with approximately 2 million users and has the highest fleet penetration of uh, 2 to 2.5 cars per 1,000 population circulating uh, in those cities. And that's because... Germany introduced the Car Sharing Act in September twenty seventeen, which enables the authorities to give priority to shared vehicles with regard to parking fees, parking spaces on public roads just for the benefit of the end user. And it also allows car sharing providers to apply for uh, multiple compound sites uh, on federal town roads with preference given to electric vehicles. So again, the, the cities that tend to have either high fees or incentive or high fees and incentives for these services tend to have the largest fleets. And then on the right hand the side, as we're talking about mobility, it's not just about automotive and uh, traditional uh, rail. We're also looking at bike sharing, and uh, there is an asterisk where we're talking about uh, China. There's been a lot of talk about China in the last uh, year or two, and China's been removed from this analysis because uh, they already have, uh, in major cities, between 80 and 150,000 bikes per city, but we're looking at uh, European cities overall, and uh, that um, you know, about 90% of cities in our analysis have a bike sharing scheme in place, especially in Europe, mostly driven by uh, in- the incentives that I mentioned. In uh, cities such as Paris, London, and Berlin, have a high bike sharing fleet with over 10,000 uh, bikes, uh, owing to the city's generous incentive programs. Investment towards the infrastructure and safety, uh, such as you know, hike, cycling 135 kilometers network and night nine cycle superhighways built in London resulted in doubling of ridership since 2016. So it's uh, having incentives for consumers to be able to use these bicycles and use them uh, on safe lanes uh, away from traffic has helped promote usage overall. And uh, they're also piloting uh, smart traffic light management where priority is actually given to cyclists over pedestrians and motor vehicles. So that's, uh, again, more incentives for consumers to uh, move to bicycles as a, a mode of transportation. So... And this also highlights the tremendous opportunity overall for private players to join into this market. But also uh, OEMs, as we've seen, uh, OEMs have joined in, like General Motors has actually launched a, a bike service as well. But the major challenge for private players into these markets is to get the permission required from city and local municipalities to operate a fleet and uh, the uh, regulations on parking policies. I think we've all seen the pictures of piles of bicycles uh, on uh, cluttering up uh, Sidewalks throughout Europe and China. So there has to be a, a way to uh, make sure that these bicycles don't become a hindrance to uh, the rest of the uh, consumers and uh, users of uh, the sidewalks, and also that the, the bicycles aren't easily stolen. Now we're looking at uh, shared mobility and commuting patterns across cities. So if we start on the left-hand side, the chart uh, the top left, we're looking at bus, rail, light rail, walking pedestrians, uh, bicycles, taxi, and then automotive uh, private trips by car. And then we've segregated this area into uh, what we would call a public transportation loyalists, And those are loyalists that have uh, less than 30% share of car uh, in their multimodal transportation split. So uh, cars represent less than 30% of uh, trips for your typical consumer. And then uh, Hong Kong as a city tops all of the cities in terms of non-car transportation usage where almost 90% of the trips are made by public transportation, cycling, or walking. And in fact, only 8% of the population in the entire city owns a car. So uh, excellent uh, public transportation networks with uh, uh, multimodal systems where you have mass rapid mass transit coupled with uh, stringent regulations that discourage personal car use, uh, such as restriction on vehicles entering the city, limiting new car registrations, as well as high uh, road tolls and charges uh, and high parking fees can also push the use of public transportation. Simultaneously, uh, public transportation reliability is close to 96% and almost 90% of the population have access to public transportation within five kilometers of uh, where they live. So people uh, prefer to commute by transit as it saves them time and is a more efficient than private motorization, which is, uh, desired smart transportation solutions. So obviously the ease of using public transportation over, uh, uh, the convenience or maybe a headache of using, uh, car is, uh, what we're looking at on this slide. And you can see how it, it moves into what we're going to talk about with transitioning cities and then onto car champions. So in the middle box we have cities that are rapidly transitioning to alternate modes of transportation. And almost all European cities fall into this category, with average car usage ranging from 40 to 45% of uh, typical commuters. And city government makes generous investment towards developing public transportation infrastructure, improving service availability, and incentivize alternative transport providers. So within Europe, Liverpool, Hamburg, and Rome have high personal car usage at about 50% of journeys made by car due to high uh, motorization rate in those cities. These cities will witness a rapid shift in modal split in the next 10 years as these cities introduce more stringent regulations for on high polluting cars, diesel bans, and car free zones to tackle congestion and uh, pollution from vehicle emissions. And on the the bottom, on the contrary, the bottom box highlights cities that have high car usage with more than 80% of trips uh, made by car. And a lot of this depends on uh, wealthy how the wealth of a city and also. The uh, infrastructure in the city with a city where they lack rapid transportation systems, coupled with uh, that high purchasing power in cities such as Dubai, Sydney, Las Vegas, and of course Los Angeles, which is, uh, was basically built up as a city built up at, around the vehicle. And it uh, has an incredibly high dependence on private motorization. And these cities are increasingly looking to diversify the modes of transport, but uh, limited availability of public transportation services. These cities will see a spike in demand for new mobility services as the uh, government proactively discourage personal car usage, uh, access uh, regulations, and congestion charges as well. But in order for local governments to successfully execute a more dynamic, efficient, and comprehensive public transport si- transportation system, more effort is required to engage with private partners. This is where digitization and data, and big data plays an important role. So this next slide, we uh, extensively cover the out of the aspects of digitization in cities, and we're going to focus three elements of uh, real-time data portals, standardized APIs in these cities, and then advanced analytical capabilities. So we're, when we look at uh, real-time data, uh, we're looking at through our comprehensive smart city tracker, we analyze almost 100 cities uh, with those above metrics. And from this, we found 73 cities have real-time data and journey planning options available. Further, 26 cities have integrated or standardized APIs, and along with only 12 cities have high analytical big data capabilities to pull all this data together. So cities on the left-hand side of this chart have all three elements available, and is where we can expect to see transportation innovations launched first, such as integrated mobility-as-a-service options. Given the depth of technological expertise available, these cities will also likely be able to support the development of artificial intelligent technologies to process the huge amount of data that's coming in from these cities. If we look at London, for example, the open data portal is far-reaching and covers uh, many topics such as uh, transportation and environmental issues. Transport for London has a unified API, which developers are told to use, and the organization has taken part in a number of trials uh, that uses advanced a- a- analytics. So we're, we're actually looking at, there's an example of trials where they're, they're using data from uh, Wi-Fi data from travelers with smartphones as inputs and probes as well as, uh, the advanced camera data used in London as well as vehicle data. And then the cities in the middle of the chart are exciting market for OEMs to introduce new mobility services such as the, uh, dynamic shuttles, mobility as a service apps as well. Well, they may not have the analytics capabilities of the cities that are on the left hand side of the chart. The open data and standardization of APIs mean that the app should be fairly easy to implement uh, with the standardization, and uh, the app developers can use standardized APIs to develop these apps. All the information is there and is readily available for these developers. And looking farther down the list to the right, there are many cities which are not capable of analytics and do not have standardized APIs. They use real-time data, however, and it's fairly widespread. And in cities such as Hamburg, it uses to roll out exciting technologies and new services for its residents. And some of these are examples of advanced par- smart parking systems where you can uh, use an app to order and find and book free parking spaces to uh, alleviate congestion and uh, offer services to those clients. And with that, I'm going to hand over to Frank and he's going to summarize our findings.
2: Thank you, Mark. Uh, very, very interesting. And I, just as, a, as, a, as, a, as an addition to that, the, the last couple of slides are actually based on a, on a, on a, on a large-scale um, uh, study that we have done over the past uh, uh, 12, 15 months that actually covers uh, 100 cities uh, around the globe, uh, and analysing 150 data points to uh, really understand mobility um, and be able to compare and benchmark and contrast each of the city uh, against uh, these 150 different parameters that are including anything from from microeconomics, the transport usage and modes of transport being available in the cities, uh, the, the challenges that they are facing, the regulations, the incentives. The, the, what are the transport vision and plans from the city itself? Uh, what are the, the, um, the, um, the, What is the strategy uh, being um, uh, put in place? What is the ecosystem, the different players that are delivering mobility solutions? What are the fair prices? Uh, And also the digitization strategy, which uh, Mark was just mentioning. So really extensive um, uh, exercise trying to really understand in in a greater level of detail, uh, each of the city uh, and their mobility uh, practices and mobility environment, something that we are going to expand in, the, in this year as well. But um, going forward, I just want to finalize um, this, this presentation. Uh, so today we have discussed with you what we, what were the key highlights from 2018, we uh, and what um, trends we expect to make an impact in 2019. So to summarize uh, these and our expectations. Um, for the industry in 2019, these are our key takeaways for this year. First, we expect a global light vehicle sales to grow marginally only uh, in 2019 by 1% to 97 million in 2019. Eastern Europe and Latin America uh, will drive sales, but North America and China could still be a challenge. Ride-hailing companies, Uber, DD, Lyft are expected to file for IPO and surge in value with Uber itself expected to be $120 billion. Propagation of vehicle to xv V2X communication is expected to bring connected technology to new highs. And level 2 plus ADAPT technology will also be promoted by vehicle manufacturers and suppliers. And finally, 43 electric vehicle models are confirmed to be launched in 2019, in which 25 will be full battery electric vehicles and 18 will be plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. In fact, Africa, Middle East, Latin America, and Southeast Asia are the new growth market for electric vehicles. So, in summary, in 2019, we expect to uh, another exciting year for the industry with a lot of new developments and changing dynamics. We hope through uh, the, the past fifty seven minutes that you have enjoyed this presentation and derived some value from what we 've presented. But before I hand over back to Anna, i'd like to share with you um, uh, and briefly tell you about Frost and Sullivan's big events for the year. We will host uh, our 11th annual intelligent mobility workshop in London on the 10th and 11th of July 2019, At the 10th and 11th of July 2019 in London. We gather uh, in industry executive policy policymakers visionaries, and investors who will share valuable insights into business models for innovative mobility solutions and help unlock wealth in the new, in, in, of new use cases. This is, from the past few years, a, a very unique platform for you to network uh, with your peers to learn about the latest trends in the automotive innovation and the future of mobility and here inspiring keynotes about how, different, how to differentiate from the competition in this rapidly changing space. To expand the reach of this very successful program, we are also hosting a similar intelligent mobility workshop in both New Delhi, India, as well as Tokyo, Japan later in the year. We Welcome you to join us in this exciting and industry leading event and look forward to engaging with you in the future of the industry. And with that, over to you, Anna.
0: Thank you, Frank. So at this time, I'd like to open up the floor for our question and answer session. We will try to answer as many questions possible live. If for some reason we do not get to your question, the team will take that offline uh, and get back with you. So let's go ahead and get started with our first question. Our first question here, uh, it's, it's for Frank. When do you feel that FOD through OTA will be popular in mainstream OEMs, given that it's just penetrating into luxury OEMs?
2: It's, 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 a, it's a very good question. I, I think, first of all, I think for, for many, many vehicle manufacturers, uh, we are at the, at the very, early, very early stage of development of this concept. Um, I think from, a, from a, a pure business model perspective, this is revolutionary in many ways for the automotive industry. That will be through that concept, be able to generate value throughout the vehicle life cycle, making the the vehicle upgradable, exciting to the customers, changing the brand advocacy and and that in itself is super super exciting from a from a, a value generation revenue generation perspective, but also brand um, um, loyalty perspective from the vehicle manufacturers. Um, when will it come? It is starting in, 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 the, in the premium uh, segment, as you, as you pointed, also because they, 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 they are um, enabled, uh, or they enable themselves to actually bring these um, uh, specific features um, into the vehicle, in the development of the vehicle itself, where actually the uh, over the air is there to unlock an existing feature, I think, in the future, when the electric and electronic architecture actually allows it uh, in, the, in, the, in the coming future, uh, the, the features will, will also be sent through over the air themselves, uh, but that will require changes um, for the um, operating system as well as the electronic and, uh, uh, and electric and electronic architecture to allow for that to take place. Um, I think we will see that in the next... Um, four to five years in the volume segment um, because it is the future of the automotive industry in my view.
0: Thank you, Frank. Now, this next question here is for Mark. When will we see autonomous taxis or shuttles in the mobility market?
3: Great. Thanks. No, that's a a very good question, and there's been a lot of uh, speculation and, and announcements from anywhere from... Uh, Tesla saying they're going to have vehicles in the market in the next year or two, and then other OEMs saying it's going to be in the early 2020s To Uh, our view and, and looking at my view is probably where we're going to see them more is probably a, maybe a little bit later in 23, 2023 to 25, uh, having those. And as I mentioned in the uh, discussion, that there's going to be probably more in the uh, cities, uh, and areas with their geofenced areas and, uh, uh, college campuses and the like. But we're also seeing by 2030, we do expect that 50% of the shuttle fleet to be autonomous and around 25% of the taxi fleet and ride-hailing to be autonomous. So there's going to be tremendous growth uh, over the next decade.
0: Thank you, Mark. Now, another question here in regards to this study. Is it also applied for the Chinese
3: market? We do have data on the Chinese market,
2: i i if i if i if i may i, I think the this this question was uh raised um uh, in the context if i remember of the um the subscription uh model study that mark was presenting and and that study uh was focusing pro pr- principally um on europe and north america um, and the results that, that, uh, that uh, Mark was presenting were on, uh, as, a, as, a, as a result of uh, this exercise. However, this is something that is definitely very interesting in China as well with some vehicles like Link & Co. That, uh, from Geely that are being launched uh, into the market solely as subscription models uh, without a dealership network. And that is extremely exciting and, and interesting from an industry perspective as well. So it's something that we could um, replicate um, in uh, to, to analyze uh, this trend in the Chinese market if anyone uh, is interested.
0: Thank you, Frank. Now also, too, do Americans really want to drive in shared vehicles? Do they want to give up or not own their own vehicle? Any idea of percentage of Uber, Lyft, et cetera, users that have their own vehicle?
3: Ah, That's a very good question overall. And it, it, I think it does depend on demographics and especially where that consumer lives. Uh, like where I live in the, the suburbs of Boston, it's not that appealing to me. But uh, if you live inside a, a city having uh, multimodal uh, ways to, to move around uh, that city and then uh having different ways to utilize a car, and if you do have a car, whether it's uh, short-term rental, ride-sharing, car-sharing, uh it's just that that consumer choice is really what uh, ends in. And uh, the other part of the question is knowing the actual percentage. I don't have data on the percentage of Uber users, or it probably depends on how much they use them and where they are, whether they own a vehicle or not. I mean, I tend to use it when I travel or when I do enter into a city, But uh, day-to-day, I don't use it personally, and I I think it just depends on the the use case of each consumer and more than likely where they live and uh, a little bit on the demographic. The the younger generation uh, tends to use them a a bit more.
0: Thank you, Mark. Now, what is driving growth in Latin America? As, As mentioned, we see big OEMs like Ford announcing manufacturing site closure due to volume reduction.
2: Mark, are you able to bring, to
3: take that? Sorry, the question is overall of why uh, manufacturing closures, site during volume reduction. So, yeah, Latin American region, when you see the, the big OEMs, it's still a, a growth market. It's, it's long been seen as a growth market, and the actual, uh, you know, number of uh, vehicle ownership per, uh, per capita is quite low in those countries, so there still is quite a, a, bit, uh, a big area for them to expand overall.
0: Thank you, Mark. And we have time for one more question here. What are uh, input energy sources, fuels used to power charging stations of EVs? What are the effect of such energy sources on environment, conversion efficiency, well-to-wheel economics?
2: Obviously, a very uh, you know I, I think we could have a, an entire session on, on on the on this topic and and you know the the underlying question maybe is is whether it makes environmental and economic sense to to move in in that di- in that direction and there's many questions that are being raised in in that area. I, I was I was personally in uh, in, in Poland last week uh, to to uh, to debate on the on this topic and launching and supporting that. The, the strategy of the Polish government uh, towards electrification, um, despite the fact that the country is, is extremely focused on, on coal for power generation. Well, you know, the, 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 the fact is, you know, if you if you don't make the effort in any part of the value chain, then you are not going to to bring any additional value or additional uh, improvement from where you are standing uh, right now. The fact is. Depending on the the, the country, depending on on the uh, sort of energy sources uh, that are being leveraged or available within each of these countries, there's different things that can be done across the various industries that are part of that value chain. Uh, Of course, uh, there's there's a lot that can be done to leverage uh, solar energy, uh, renewable energy in general, uh, to um, um, sort of uh, uh, charge uh, batteries. Uh, add charging points uh, and allow for more renewable sources of, en- of energy. These are some of the points that are, are being leveraged, are being worked on, are being uh, developed uh, and deployed by many of the, the players in-, in the industry to support uh, the fact that we need an infrastructure of electric charging to, to to uh to, to support the growth uh, of the uh, these vehicle uh, being in the market uh, but there's there's exciting development with uh, new uh new technologies both from the charging as well as you know um uh, connect, um, um associated um uh, battery uh power uh, power and um local um uh charging stations um uh, local um, energy um, uh, collection uh, station that can be uh, applied to these um, uh, to this infrastructure
0: thank you very much now this concludes today's session Uh, please contact us with any questions additional information i have posted the contact details on your screen at this time thank you
2: thank you very much thank you very much thank you very much